Good morning, church. Uh, good to be with you again uh, today. Uh, just a couple of things before I get into my message um, from a Kerbel uh, Corner perspective. Uh, just asking you to pray for um, the application process uh, for our new community connections worker that the adverts have all gone out this week and for us to uh, find the right person for that. So please be in prayer for that. Pray for the permits. We're still just a bit frustrated it hasn't come through yet. So just pray that that may come through soon. And also be in prayer. We're going to have a um, end of year um, Christmas wrap up for uh, Cavell Kitchen on uh, 6th or the 8th of December, somewhere there, that Tuesday night. Um, and just pray that that will be able to come together well with all the social distancing stuff that we want to do and the right people will be uh, there for that and for the team as we um, prepare to celebrate the end of the year together. So would very much appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, so now into our message as we uh, continue to work through our God is theme. Uh, there's this verse in uh, Psalm 18 and it's one of those God's wrath rebuke um, psalms uh, where it says, uh, At your rebuke, Lord, the foundations of the world were exposed by the blast of the breath of your nostrils. This was done. So I don't know if you've ever noticed, but uh, I have rather large nostrils and uh, it's been a bit of a thing in our marriage uh, that often uh, if I'm sitting on the couch with Coraline, I've got my arm around her and it's romantic, watching a movie or whatever. Uh, Coraline has been known to say, uh, can you just direct your godlike nostrils away from my ear? Because uh, you're blasting right in there. And so we've had a bit of a laugh about that and never really known what that idea of the blast of God's nostrils has to do with his uh, wrath or anger. So uh, preparing this sermon, I've learned about where that comes from. So that's been uh, helpful and I'm going to talk to you a bit about that now. Uh, this phrase, uh, slow to anger, uh, in Hebrew, the actual literal transla translation is uh, long of nostrils. And so uh, how does this phrase, long of nostrils, uh, become to be translated slow to anger? So uh, the Bible Project have been doing lots of uh, stuff on the, this um, verse and passage too. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to go there and look at their clips and they even have podcasts on it. I know that Joel and Andrew and I have gained lots of uh, information from them in this uh, they talk about how uh, Hebrew language is word pictures. Uh, and so the picture here is that when someone gets angry, uh, usually their nostrils flare and they will probably breathe out. Just a, or um, I don't know, think of a bull or, some, or a horse that breathes out when they're sort of angry or upset. Um, and the idea that God has uh, long nostrils is that uh, it takes a long time for that uh, anger to come out. Or in uh, another message I heard on this uh, phrase, uh, they talked about uh, this idea that um, uh, if you're slow to anger, you breathe in before you. So it's like that. And you take control of your anger before you breathe out. So you, you get the idea um, that uh, the picture here 
is that uh, God is controlled in his anger or slow uh, in his anger before he reacts. He's not just one that, someone that's uh, lashing out or is out of control. Um, the question uh, I want you to ask yourself uh, this morning is, um, how do you go with God's anger? Uh, let's just start there. Like, uh, do you actually like the idea of an angry God at all? Um, you know, that theme uh, has all these nice words of compassion and gracious and abounding in love and faithful. And then there's this one in the middle, uh, slow to anger. Um, and I think we like the slow, but have you thought about the anger bit? Um, this, uh, this word or this phrase is probably a little bit different to the other uh, characteristics of God because um, anger is actually a responsive word. It's actually responsive to wrongdoing um, and it's sort of more situational. Um, and so this thing that's been doing my head in a little bit is um, was God ever angry before the fall? Or will God ever be angry in the new heaven and earth? Um, and I think I'm coming to the place where he's not, because uh, anger is a response uh, to wrongdoing against you. Um, and so uh, I want us to think about, um, uh, about our response uh, to God's anger. And probably this question, what, what's your experience of God being slow to anger? Uh, have you actually experienced that? Have you actually had a reaction to that? What did you do or feel about that? Um, there's this sense that there's one thing to believe these things, but it's an actual, uh, what we would call faith, is to actually take that belief and put it into your experience, put it into your daily activity or put it into action. So I want you to think about uh, how have you experienced God's um, anger, uh, maybe his slow to angerness, and uh, how has that made you feel or react, and how has that affected uh, the way you've interacted with God? Uh, so my sermon today only has two points, um, but don't fret, it's probably going to be a long one because there's lots in those two points. But no, uh, the two points are one, we're just going to look at uh, God's anger at first, and then we're going to look at um, what is slow um, in that. So first of all, let's uh, deal with uh, God's anger. Um, so like I said before, even though it's there, uh, sorry, even though it's slow, it's still there. Uh, and you can't read the Bible and, and go through the Bible story without seeing uh, that God is angry. And in our culture and in our point of uh, history, uh, we don't really like the idea of angry. And in particular, we don't like, uh, our culture doesn't like the picture of an angry God. And it would be fair to say that there's a strong depiction of the Christ, Christian God um, as a very old or grumpy old man who's in heaven and he's ready to unleash his uh, punishment and smite the people for what they've done. So I thought I would uh, read our passage today and you can have a look if you want to flick to Exodus 32. Uh, you can uh, have a look at the passage there. But I'm going to uh, do a 2020 political correct version uh, of uh, Exodus 32. So you can sort of maybe pick up as you follow along where I'm going wrong. 
um, and just get just get a bit of a feel for what I'm saying here. So Moses, it's paraphrased, it's a bit like Glenn's message version. Um, so uh, Moses and God are up on Mount Sinai and they're working out the terms of this new covenant. Uh, they take a bit long in putting the details together. So Aaron um, or the people get Aaron to make them a golden calf. And then uh, up on the, the mountain, God realises that and he says to Moses, uh, you better go down because the people who were brought out of Egypt, uh, they've made a golden calf and they're worshipping it. So just go down there and let them know that I love them. Um, just, just, yeah, let them know that we probably did take a little bit long and, but I understand what, might, what they might be feeling. Um, and yeah, just let them know, look, I probably understand the idea of having an image might be helpful for them. So look, no hard feelings here. Uh, Moses, just go down there and encourage them. Just let them know that I love them. Actually, the calf that they made is really good. Just let them know it's a really good looking calf. And you could uh, imagine Moses' response saying, oh God, what do you mean? We've just written down that you should have no other gods before you and make no images and we're not to worship them. And God responds to Moses saying, oh yeah, but look, if they, if they just want to have another God or two on the side, it's probably, it's okay. It doesn't phase me too much and whatever feels good for them. And that's cool. It doesn't worry me that much. And look, if it doesn't work out with the calf, they can just come back to me, you know. And, you know, just let them know that you do you. Uh, they've had a hard time in Egypt, so they deserve to do what they want. Don't let anyone tell them that they're doing wrong. Uh, I'm not angry with them. I'm not going to judge them. Uh, if they want to come with me to, Cain, uh, to yeah, Canaan, they can. If they want to go back to Egypt, that's fine. I'm not really fussed. So whatever makes them happy. If you had that sort of response from God, uh, I would come away with thinking, and maybe just you can examine your own thought, that maybe you have a sense of, I don't really know how much God loves them. <laughs> Is that really love? You may have heard uh, the line, um, the opposite to love is not anger, it's actually indifference or inaction. Anger is a response of love to when things go wrong. So God's anger is a very broad topic through the Bible and there's lots of it uh, that we could cover. But I'm actually going to be quite specific in dealing with the anger that we find in this passage um, and the anger that we're dealing here is one where it's actually um, God uh, with his people. So the people of Israel have actually sinned directly against God and his anger is a response to that. It's not so much God looking at injustice um, and being angry at that or looking at the nations and being angry at them or spiritual forces, uh, which all happens through the Bible. Today's anger, which comes out of this passage, is this anger of this broken relationship between him and his people. And so uh, God responds to them uh, in their rebellion. And because often what happens um, in the idea uh, when we think about God, there's a distortion um, because we often focus on the expression of God's anger rather than reading the passage in the context and finding out why he's, anger, uh, why he's angry. So to give us a bit more of a feel of what's going on here in Exodus 32 to 34, uh, this is a, a covenant renewal process. 
um, where God has pulled his people out of Egypt. They've met at Mount Sinai um, and they're coming together. And what we're experiencing here is almost like a wedding. Uh, covenant renewal ceremonies are often compared to weddings and that Moses is uh, almost acting as the celebrant to uh, bring them together. And so there's this sense that at this wedding, God is up on the mountain and he's saying his vows to his people. And what's happening is Israel, his bride, well, they're flirting with the groomsmen and they're talking about and they're thinking about how they're going to hook up with the groomsmen. Or you could imagine if you were a bride and you're saying your vows to your husband and your husband is looking at your bridesmaids and he's fantasizing about them. Think of how that would make you feel. You might be devastated, but what not far behind there would be anger. You would be ropeable that this person that you've grown to love and want to spend the rest of your life with is off thinking about someone else. We're reminded throughout the Bible that God is a jealous God and that is a good thing for those he loves. He actually wants to fight for them. And God's anger is actually is an expression of his love towards his people because he wants to be with them. And so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, often we can abstract God's anger out of the context. And I just want us to sort of sit in that context to understand uh, what's going on here as well. Uh, it's been three months where, from where um, God has taken them out of Egypt and they've come to Mount Sinai. And if you read through the earlier chapters of, uh, of Exodus, it's been pretty well three months of complaining. Pretty well from the first couple of days when they're at the Red Sea, they're, they're complaining to God, what, you've taken us out here just to be wiped out in the desert? They get across the, 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 uh, the, the Red Sea and it's like, uh, there's no food here, uh, there's no water here, we're better off back in Egypt. And so God has had three months of this. And then in the middle of his wedding ceremony, they're off thinking about uh, someone else and wanting to go off with someone else. And God's anger comes to the fore here. And it's, what is it? It's a response of love. Anger is what love looks like when you're sinned against. And so just a side note here. Our human anger is probably so distorted by our own selfishness and sin that the idea of righteous anger, which we often talk about in sort of church circles, is almost uh, incomprehensible to us. Um, it's almost non-existent in us. And so our anger is often uninformed, uh, it's irrational, it's uncontrolled, where God's uh, righteous anger uh, is true and right, but it's almost uh, hard for us to understand what that is. And um, our view of God's anger is probably distorted by our human idea of anger. So we need to sort of keep that in the mix as well. But being in, made in the image of God, uh, we do feel it. We know what it's like when someone sins against us and that, uh, that feeling of anger. And probably what I would say is the people that we love most, we will get more, most angry at. Um, this week, uh, I actually asked Coralyn, it got a bit risky, and I asked Coralyn, um, my wife, um, what makes you angry at me? 
so she had a bit of time to think about it and it was very interesting what came back. I didn't know what was going to come back, but this is what came. She said, uh, I get angry at you when you say you're going to do something and you don't do it. Um, and, and particularly more if, if she asks me to do something and I don't do it. Or then she said a little bit too, um, if I ask you something and you don't value it and you just flippantly dismiss it and you say, oh yeah, whatever, and you never do it. And I just thought, oh, so uh, <laughs> that anger is reflective of what, a little bit what's happening here. God's asked his people to live a certain way and they dish it off or they do their own thing. Um, shifting gears a little bit on the anger thing, um, I want to ask you this question. What's the worst thing uh, that you've ever been saved from? So, if you've been in Christian circles, if you're a Christian, you probably say something like sin or death or evil. Um, well, have you ever considered that you have the worst thing that you've been saved from is the anger of God? Hebrews uh, 10, 31 pretty well tells us this. Uh, it says there, it's a fearful or a ter terrible or a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, Jesus also said something along those lines as well in Matthew 10, 28, where he says, uh, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And he's not talking about Satan there. He's talking about God, his father, uh, that has the power to do that. And so um, there's this sense that from day one, uh, once sin had entered the world and every time we sin, God has every right uh, to wipe us out as his humanity because he told us that the consequence of sin was to be death. And so right the way through from Cain, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, uh, and we read the sin that occurs there, uh, we get the sense that God is holding back his wrath there. Uh, and both, I think, Joel and Andrew have alluded to this um, in the last few sermons, is that if we understand the depths of God's anger and our rebellion, we greater understand his love and his grace and his compassion. So uh, I, was, I was reading these verses, I think it was in preparation for one of Joel or Andrew's sermons, I was just reading through the passage, and I think the Holy Spirit uh, gave me a, a, a revealed a subconscious thought. Um, and my subconscious thought went something like this, as I was reading the way this unfolded, I was thinking, I have never done anything like that to make, to, to make God as angry as that. To make God so angry that he'd want to wipe me out. I've never done that. And as I, I can't write, quite remember the whole time of it, but it was very close to that. Uh, my phone buzzed and uh, I looked there and there were some YouTube notifications that had come through and some, uh, some new people had started following me on Instagram um, and it made me feel good and I started to smear. <laughs> And so here I was in the middle of my devotion time and I start drifting off and floating off and flirting with the world. And I recognise that every day my heart's desires are for the things of this world, things that I can see and touch and experience, 
things that I can seek satisfaction or joy or contentment in created things rather than uh, the creator. Just as I think Joel said last week, we quoted Calvin, where our, our hearts, and I recognize my heart, is an idol factory. And I was confronted right in that point that God would probably want to wipe me out at that point, that I just off loving myself and the world uh, over and above him. And straight then came uh, flooding back to me was Romans chapter 7. Uh, and that famous uh, passage where Paul wrestles with his sin and he says, the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And the things I really should be doing, I don't do. What a wretched person I am. And earlier on in Romans, in the first uh, three chapters of Romans, Paul has spent a fair bit of time um, letting us know that all of our behaviour is a bit like the Israelites. And many of the similar themes that are happening around this Mount Sinai um, situation come out in Romans 1 to 3. And he's letting us know that there's no one righteous uh, and that we've left uh, the creator and we're worshipping created things. And in Romans 2 verse 8, he says, for those who are self-seeking, mm, Glenn, uh, and who are rejecting the truth and following evil, there will be wrath and anger. And then uh, I read a bit further in uh, Romans 1 from sort of 30 and on, uh, just in case you're thinking that uh, there's no sort of sin or reason in my life that God would want to wipe me out. Uh, and he's talking in there and he's talking about these people are going to suffer the wrath of God. Well, they're gossips. Uh, have you ever gossiped? Uh, they're slanderers. They tell untruth or they bring other people down. They're God haters. Uh, they're insolent, and I was thinking, yeah, I'm like a stubborn little kid at times. They're arrogant and boastful, and I thought, yep, I think my ways are better than God's ways. Uh, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless. They're faithless. They're heartless. They're ruthless. Um, they in invent ways of doing evil. I thought, ooh. And then I thought to myself, of anyone that's been caught in an addictive sin, um, and particularly I've, I've spoken to people who've been in pornography and stuff like that, that they will put on, um, on protective stuff on their phones or their computers. And then uh, no doubt somewhere along the line, they will invent ways to get around that. And I thought, yes, this is me. This is, I am uh, the subject of God's wrath and anger in this place. But we praise God because we get to Romans 3.21 and it says now there is a righteousness uh, that comes from God that I am justified by his grace and love and compassion. And Andrew and Joel have done brilliantly over the last two weeks uh, telling us about how God does that. So I'm not going to spend lots of time going over that. Look at those last two uh, sermons. They're great. But we find uh, that Jesus is the better Moses who intercedes for us, who brings atonement, who takes upon himself uh, our, the punishment and the anger and the wrath that God should have put on us, he, take, he puts on Jesus. And that is a beautiful thing. And it is a great thing. And it is a loving thing that God got so angry that he sacrificed his son. So that whoever would believe in him would not die, but have life. And this uh, passage, or the one that we're talking about, our text, um, talks about love, God is love, uh, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding, faithful. But after that, he also um, says, but he's not going to leave uh, the sins of the wicked unpunished. And he doesn't. 
He doesn't uh, do that. He's just and he's anger, angry about that. And uh, as we've said through the story of the Bible, is the unfolding of that works itself out as that anger and justice and punishment comes on Jesus instead of us. And we're reminded in the context of this verse that that forgiveness of the wicked is for the thousands, while yet the guilty of the unpunished are the threes and fours. We get the sense that there's a greater proportion, a slowness of that. You see, uh, if God doesn't do anything about our sin, well, then he's a wimpy God that I don't know if he's worth loving. If there is no justice, then he's a weak God. And ultimately, if he doesn't do anything about it, I would say he's an unloving God. Um, Oh, there's not enough time in here to talk about Jesus' anger. Jesus doesn't talk lots about sort of anger and wrath of God. He talks a fair bit about injustice. But there are times, oh, and what he does a lot is bring in lots of warnings. Jesus talks lots about hell and the consequences of sin. And he talks about now is the time to repent and believe because there is a day coming. Uh, but now is the time uh, for salvation and gives us warnings in that. So... As we wrap up this sort of point on uh, God's anger, it's a good thing that God gets angry because it shows us the extent of his love. Uh, God's anger is a love response to our sin and evil. God's anger is nothing like ours, remember that, uh, because he has long nostrils. He's patient and he holds back uh, his anger. And we're going to look at that as we uh, tackle the slow bit of this verse. And ultimately, God's anger was put on Jesus. And there is going to be no God's anger uh, in the new earth when, we come, when he comes again. So that's uh, for us to think about from the anger side. From the slow bit. Basically, the Bible is full of our compassionate and gracious God who holds back his full anger. Even here on Mount Sinai, uh, again, we get the sense that God holds back his full anger. Yep, there are certain people who die and a plague comes, but his people are remained as his people and his faithfulness to his promise continues. And right through the Bible, at the heart of this sort of slow idea, uh, and most of, this is interesting to know, most of God's anger in the Bible is directed towards Israel and the people he loves, other than the outside. And so to the people he's loved, we, he loves, it is good to know uh, that it is slow. Romans 3 tells us this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did it to demonstrate his righteous because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So God holds back his punishment. He could wipe us out, like I said, any time. He could have wiped us out, wiped out his people, and uh, begun again, but he doesn't. He holds that back uh, and allowing people to come to him through Christ's righteousness uh, that is ours through faith. And so God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He's gracious and loving. Uh, he does not allow the guilty to go unpunished, though, because he punishes his son for that. 
And right the way through the Bible story, we have uh, this sort of, I think Joel alluded to it maybe last week, this righteous interceptor, uh, this person that comes in and sort of intercedes on behalf of the people and helps them get back on track. And Jesus is the ultimate one of those who comes in and makes us right with God to remind us that God is faithful to his covenant promises. And we're going to get into that in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, that he is slow to anger, he's slow to punish. Uh, and there are a number of Bible stories, and I, I, I kept coming back to this question of what is slow. Um, so is three months where from, from Egypt to Mount Sinai and to this point, is that sort of slow that God's... A, um, I heard in another message um, that uh, Jonah, when he warned Nineveh and they repented, but the prophet Nahum actually comes to Nineveh about 150 years later and Nineveh is wiped out because they, they don't repent or they don't keep repenting. And they turn up. And so maybe slow is three, 150 years. Or maybe you can think of um, some of those uh, stories in the Bible. You might remember a guy called Uzzah. Uh, he's the guy that touches the, car, uh, the ark and uh, he instantly gets wiped out. It actually says the anger of the Lord was burned against him and he died. Or you might think of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, instant the thing that comes through the Bible story is those instantaneous expressions of God are very few and far between. You don't read of them a lot. Most of the time you're reading that God's anger is held back. Or the sense you get, and you might have heard this sort of uh, phraseology, um, that God gave them over to their sin or God turned his face away from them and there is this sense that some of God's wrath is expressed in slowness that people get to experience the consequences of their sin and he gives them over to that uh, and the sense that we get that that as they experience the consequences of uh, their sin which there's a certain element of that that's uh, anger and, and, and punishment in that, but it's the opportunity to come back in repentance. And God uses it very regularly to allow people to sit in the consequences of their rebellion in order that they may turn back to him. And this uh, expression of slow to anger is um, often referred to as God gave them over, or um, there's even a phrase, uh, he let them drink the cup of his wrath which is probably similar to that um, phrase that we use, is they, they sleep in the bed they made for themselves. Uh, they're drinking what they've actually made for themselves. In 2 Peter 3, uh, verse 8 and 10, uh, we get this passage when we're thinking about the slow, what is slow like. Um, it's the one where, you know, a day is, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. And then this verse, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you. That word patient is the long of nostrils, uh, word, um, the Greek version of that word. Um, and he is wishing that none would perish, that all would be, uh, that all would come to repentance. And so this idea of God's slowness is that people would come back to him, repent and turn to him because he is patient. He's holding back his anger uh, so that salvation can come, faith can come to those people. And so there is this sense in these last days, uh, that, and Jesus uh, warned of this too, there is a day coming 
when God's judgment will be brought on the earth finally and forever. But in, the outer, in these days is the days of repentance. While God is holding back his anger um, and is slow in it, these are the days of repentance and turning back to him and knowing his grace and love and compassion. There will be some of us that read this verse, slow to anger, and we will read slow means never. We have a tendency to say that God never really gets angry at me, or this sort of his grace and love, you know, sort of cover that. Oh, actually, I'm a pretty good person. And we actually downplay the effect of our sin and rebellion uh, on our relationship with God. And we downplay the fact that God is angry at us. Just like when I'm reading and praying in the Bible, I'm thinking about, and you fill in the blank. Some of us will read this phrase, uh, slow to anger, and we'll read that slow means, uh, or we'll actually ignore slow and say that God is always angry at me. That God's always disappointed with me. And we need to know that God's anger was put on Jesus and his justice was given to Jesus and that through the blood of Jesus, he looks at us and sees us as freed from sin and anger and punishment. You need to ask uh, your heart where the Spirit might be con con convicting you uh, in those verses. So as we, uh, as we wrap up, um, there's a, a phrase that I got off a blog. I think it was they were quoting Tim Keller, but I, I'm not quite sure, and I can't remember the source of the, um, the, the blog. But they said, uh, no anger or blow anger, where someone just blows off, are both bad, but slow anger is good and loving. And that God, again, shouts from Mount Sinai, shouts to us that I'm slow to anger. And he withholds his wrath because of his love and graciousness. And so the gospel enables us to hold those two sentences that I said before uh, together. That God is always angry with me and God is never angry with me. And uh, the gospel uh, enables us to hold those two together. That he's actually both. And if you don't believe me, then you can believe Paul, because Paul says this in Romans 7 and 8. He says, uh, you know, he says all the sins that he does, he keeps on doing. He comes to the point, I'm a wretched man. I deserve God's wrath. God's angry with me. Two verses later, he then holds up, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel shows us that uh, because of God's love uh, and his just anger, we can actually hold those two together. That we know that Jesus, uh, think of some of the terminology, he drank the wrath of God or God's wrath on the cross. God turned his face from him on the cross. Uh, he was given over to the consequences of sin, our sin, not his, in order for justice and love to be demonstrated. So have you experienced this? Do you know the anger and love of God? Do you know that God is slow to anger have you experienced that and how did you react there's a couple of passages um, in hebrews that i just want to close this off with where the writer to the hebrews um, talks about some of this stuff and he's quite um, clear in uh, 
his expression of God's anger and the response of people who have been spared from that. So in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, um, sort of 19 and following, uh, I'll just sort of pick and choose bits and pieces. Um, so he says, if we go on deliberately sinning after we know the truth, so if we go on deliberately sinning after God's told us what to do, uh, there will be anger and judgment to that person. Um, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without uh, mercy um, at the testimony of two or three. How much more severely do you think a person deserves to be punished if they trample on the Son of God, who has treated, uh, who treats him as an unholy thing? Think about how he would treat those who insult the spirit of grace. For he said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and I will judge the people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't want to reject God's grace and the, the work of Jesus for us. But that, what I just read, is flavoured by the words just before it. And from verse 19, it says, Therefore, people, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way has been opened to us through the curtain that is his body, took on the punishment, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, this is the response then, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, full of assurance and faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So then, this is the response stuff, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider then how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us never give up a meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and even more as we see the day approaching. What a great response to the anger and grace of God. And then uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, he actually talks about and reinterprets this event that happens on Mount Sinai in Exodus 32. Uh, he talks a little bit in there. Uh, this is from chapter 12, sort of 14 onwards. And he says, you know, they came to a mountain that was burning with fire and there was darkness and there was trumpets and uh, no one was allowed to touch it. And even Moses was afraid. And then he says, but you, believers in Jesus, those you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, a city of the living God. So you've come to a different type of mountain. You've come to one where there are, listen to this, there are thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You've come to the church of the firstborn who have their names written in heaven. You have come to God who is the judge of all men and who has uh, judged men righteous and made perfect uh, through Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And you have come to be sprinkled by his blood that speaks better than the, the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. And there's a bit more warning in there. And then he comes. This is a response at the end of this passage after we see our new Mount Sinai, our new marriage covenant in some ways there. He says, therefore, since we are receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. 
when we understand uh, God's anger, we understand his love response to us as sinful and broken people. And that uh, would lead us to a response of worship, of praise, of uh, lives of living sacrifices for a God who loved us so much, who is slow to anger, who is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and faithful to his promises. So may you go out this week with this image uh, in your mind. And this is the image from uh, Revelation 21. And he says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. He's talking about the church being reunited with God. This is a new marriage ceremony that happens in the last days when Jesus returns again. And there is nothing but eyes for each other. God for his people and his people for God. Listen what it says. And I heard a loud voice from heaven now saying, now the dwelling place of God is with people, with his people, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and they will be there. he will be their God. Listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more uh, mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things have passed away and I believe there will be no more anger. <laughs> what a great thing for us to think about and draw us to God, um, draw us to our loving relationship with God in that intimate way this week and may that inspire you to live a, worship, a worshipful and glorifying life this week. Amen.